Hello, welcome to episode four of Cine Motif. My name is Patrick Alaka. And I am Jason Konigsberg of panandslam.com. And we're going to be talking about action heroes on this episode, just the evolution of, of uh, how they've changed through the years. Yep, and this is what made you want to pick this uh, topic. Yeah, so I was watching a few Schwarzenegger movies recently. Uh, you actually got me Total Recall for my birthday. And uh, I watched that, and it just made me think about like how action heroes have changed and like why I feel like that was kind of like the golden era of action heroes. And it just made me start thinking about like what happened to them. And then I started thinking about like, well, how did... Uh, what what happened? What was before Schwarzenegger? And so then, yeah, I just brought it up to you and we were talking about it. How how they evolved, the action hero, how it evolved from what it was to when it, you know, our golden era. Probably our golden era, we would consider that because it was our childhood, I think, growing up in the 80s and 90s, the heyday of Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Um mm-hmm. You know, and then to a lesser extent, I guess, you know, Bruce Willis, Van Damme, Jackie Chan. So, um, but yeah, you know, action heroes have been a big part of movie history and movie culture. And I think that has changed dramatically in the past 20 years. Because I don't think you could just throw a, a face, you know, with a gun and say he's an action star and guarantee you know the way you put schwarzenegger's face on a poster and give it a title and give him a gun and you've got yourself you know guaranteed box office numbers uh i don't think it works like that anymore i think maybe if uh the said actor has a cape or a gimmick or a costume or you know a mask then that's what sells and then maybe someone else could go underneath that mask and cape and cowl and continue to you know crank out big box office hundred million dollar hits so uh, the the game has changed significantly yeah well movies in general have changed significantly where it's where you're lucky that if someone actually goes and sees your movie so i think that's also also what's changed it's no longer about yeah hollywood seems to no longer care about the star they more about they more care about like does it have a built-in audience you know like comic books or books and like anything that's an adaptation seems like to be the only thing most of the time that gets made whether it's a remake or sort of adaptation of a tv show adaptation of a book adaptation of a comic that's probably 90 percent of stuff i would say i agree remakes reboots sequels uh but yeah it's just and and like you said even going back to think of lord of the rings uh, then mm-hmm. later, The Hobbit. Uh, and at the same time as Lord of the Rings, there was the massively successful Harry Potter franchise. So, yeah, and that was action. Right. Okay, that yeah. was, you know, that was action for the 2000s, what, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone were for the 80s and 90s. So, yeah, that's that was action. That was a blockbuster. So, yeah. I mean, it actually kind of makes me sad the way we're talking about it because I do But you think love the it's... Harry Potter movies. Uh, I like some of them. I love the Harry Potter books. Um, I would say I like maybe 50% of the movies and the other half I hate. Okay. So I enjoyed um, the Harry Potter movies. In fact, I like the earlier ones. The first, I would say I really liked the first four. 
I remember Goblet of Fire was the fourth one, and I thought that was really good. Then after that, they sort of became hit or miss for me, at least. So. See, and I liked I liked them after four. <laughs> I liked them from four onwards, kind that of. That was so. when John Williams stopped doing the music. That was when I felt like they sort of just became more... Uh, and this is something that we could talk about, uh, I guess, you know, focus group oriented and more just like directed by committee and not, you know, Chris Columbus or Alfonso Cuaron, who I know did the first three Harry Potter movies, those two different directors. Uh, Mm -hmm. They kind of had their own personal stamp and their own personal vision on those films. And it just, yeah, then afterwards it felt more like it wasn't a director's vision. So I guess it's like, what do you prefer? But if they, if those later adaptations were more faithful than the book, then I guess that's, yeah, that's, that's what did it for and that's, me. Okay, see, and for me, who didn't read the books, that didn't mean anything to me. Right. But anyway, All let's. Right. <laughs> we could definitely. I still want to do a podcast on adaptations because I think that would be interesting. But let's. Why don't we get into uh, into our topic? So, I mean, we honestly, I, right now, I have Swashbuckler, but as the first action hero, but. I honestly feel like we could even go back to Charlie Chaplin days if you want to talk about like the slapstick type action. If you, you know, want to count him as a hero, is he an action he, hero? I mean, he was, is Buster Keaton an action hero or Harold Lloyd? Are they action heroes? I would say they at least planted some kind of seed for movies that ha- have like characters that do that type of action and stunts and things like that. Like Harold Lloyd hanging from the you know the clock and everything right, and safety I mean, last yeah, yeah yeah exactly so i i would say they they're not true action heroes but they definitely planted the seed for action heroes I so feel we don't like have to really first, get into them but yeah, yeah when i was first discovering uh you know those silent movie stars uh, i guess around college time uh I was really, it, it made me think the one actor that I thought had the most in common with Buster Keaton or Chaplin or any of them was Jackie Chan. And he's mm-hmm. certainly, uh, you know, a very uh, international action star. So, uh, yeah, it, it made me think of them. So there's definitely a connection. And I'm sure yeah, that, sure. you know, I'm sure Jackie Chan would admit that those, you know, silent movie stars influenced his style. So, yeah. There's like a little bit of there's you know there's grace to it there's like a it's like a ballet and and de- definitely I could say that with Jackie Jackie Chan's types of uh, like his stunts and everything too it's almost like a dance and yeah. so I do feel like they kind of created you know both uh, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton created that type of rhythm that that a lot of action heroes kind of grabbed onto so yeah maybe we could actually say that charlie chaplin and buster keaton more kind of grab like grab the attention of uh asian action more than american action heroes from the base of our knowledge it sounds like yeah Yeah. chow yun fat jackie chan jet lee i mean i think those stars have a little bit more in common with a Charlie Chaplin, a Buster Keaton, or a Harold Lloyd than a Schwarzenegger, a Stallone, or a Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're okay. very there's, opposite. There's nothing the operatic. Spectrum. There's nothing operatic yeah. and uh, graceful about those men that <laughs> right. I just mentioned. Okay, there's a yeah. there's a lot of verbs to words to describe them, but graceful and uh, is not one of them. So yeah, but uh, yeah. So let's get into our first type from the '30s and '40s, the swashbuckler. And the, the person that kind of exemplifies this is Errol Flynn. Both you and I, when we were talking about the outline, that was the 
one that came to mind. And um, Errol Flynn played, you know, pirate types. He probably his most famous role is Robin Hood, which isn't a swashbuckler, but it's still like he was always playing that same type of character, you know, that that character that kind of was operating on the other side of the law, but like in a, in a, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like in a happy way, in a, like in a Robin positive Hood. way. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Like Robin Hood he, in a noble, he was, Robin Hood had yeah, noble causes, rob from the rich, right. give to the poor, in like a mm-hmm. fun, fancy, you know, yeah. never a sense of danger, never a sense that, oh my God, this guy's not going to make it, he's going to get caught. You know, almost, and now you're making me think of comedies from the 30s, almost like the Marx Brothers. You know, yes. Groucho Marx going up against the big, rich, stuffed shirt, you know, people. And, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't use action, you know, he didn't use a sword and swashbuckling, you know, methods. But it's kind of like the same thing, you know, going up against these big, rich, you know, you just look at the, you know, the people that Groucho was going up against or the people that Errol Flynn was going up against. And you know they're the bad guy with the beard, the face, they, you know, they don't need that much development those characters that they're facing and, off against and there's actually like kind of an operatic ballet to grace to like what he was doing too like swinging from chandeliers and he had that quality too where his fo- his feathers were never ruffled he was always Absolutely. very yeah. calm and collected and uh it just looked cool it looked and yeah. he made everything look fun Yes, looks, even yeah. even if it was dangerous and, you know, he was about to get stabbed, okay, or, you know, could die for, off a cliff or something uh, or falling off a chandelier. Yeah, he always made it look fun. So that's a good point uh, to make there with Errol Flynn. And clearly, you know, a, a the, the seed was planted for, you know, action stars, debonair, suave, you know, style action stars that would, of course, yeah. later become, you know, the James Bond type of role. I think that we're going to see as we go through this that a lot of the later roles kind of like take from all of these older roles. And I just think that's kind of interesting that they a lot of the modern action heroes just take a little bit from each one of these. But these were like the Mm. four front runners who like paved the way. Um, But yeah, if we think about like the 30s and 40s, I think... Errol Flynn kind of matches that era, you know, with the the 30s, of course, being a time where uh, the Great Depression was going on. But it, it seemed like the the movies that that made, that were lighthearted, that made people forget their troubles, those were the ones that performed the best. And Errol Flynn, kind of, uh, he fit that mold of like the always smiling, uh, of course, giving to the robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. A lot of people, Amer- Americans, were poor at this time and so he kind of fit that as well wouldn't you say i was about to say that's the reason why you know robin hood you know was maybe his biggest hit during that time or one of the Mm -hmm. movies he's most well known for and yeah you see i mean i'm so he the these are still problems that people face. I mean, we've had recessions since the Great Depression. We've had a lot of, you know, economic downturns throughout the past hundred years or so. Um, and audiences do tend to flock to those type of stories. I mean, this isn't an action movie, but think about, uh, last year's best picture winner, Parasite. Okay. Everyone you're rooting the, the, you know, the lower class is doing, you know, horrible things to the upper class, but yet you're still, feel compelled to root for them and hope that they don't get caught so those Mm -hmm. are themes and values that you know action or not you know that are going to repeat throughout cinema but i think you know the swashbuckler type of action star 
really disappeared for a little while after Errol Flynn, and there hasn't really yeah. been a, a hero. Yes, he he influenced you know James Bond types, or you know even certain you know modern you know eighties and nineties action stars that we'll be talking about, where they sort of have a you know carefree quality about them, even when everything looks against them, and you know people are shooting guns at them, that it's all going to work out. Um, but I would say that you know the most famous recent descendant. Uh, direct, you know, kind of direct descendant of the Errol Flynn swashbuckling hero, I would say would be Johnny Depp as uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. Because there haven't been a lot of pirate hits, there haven't been a lot of pirate movies that were successful. And he, of course, you know, we, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean became a huge success for Disney and, you know, started a huge successful franchise. And that's clearly, I mean, if Errol Flynn were alive today, he would, that's a role that he would have played. He could have done that in his sleep, I'm sure, and was very influential on uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie and how Johnny Depp's character was, you know, to be played. So We could also, of course, say that uh, Indiana Jones, the character, was influenced by Errol Flynn in a way. You know, that yeah. type of Saturday matinee type character who's always yeah. like, you know, there isn't really, I mean, there was more danger with Indiana Jones, but it's still like, Kind of like everything was done with a wink. Yes. So and those you know. movies were, were took place in the 1930s. So during yes. the era when Errol Flynn was the box office uh, superstar. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's comparisons there for sure. Yeah. And then uh, I guess we could talk uh, start talking about you know what happened after the 40s or mid 40s. Obviously, you know, with World War Two. I feel like. Uh, that's where Errol Flynn kind of went out of style, I would say, that type of character. Yeah. and Because I guess the um, world was changing and the world, there were yeah. serious threats to our lives. It wasn't, you know, the bad guys weren't, you know, to be taken lightly uh, around mm-hmm. the late 30s, 40s, and then throughout the 50s, of course, with the Cold War. So we needed heroes that weren't going to take, you know, our villains lightly. And that's where it started to change and we sort of got the as we call the strong, silent type, the stoic, you know, larger-than-life, tough, all-American action hero. Uh, right. So which, which, I mean, I would say for the 40s and 50s, and then, I mean, he was still, you know, a star in acting, uh, winning, he won an Oscar in the 60s, and then into the 70s, he was still, uh, you know, headlining movies. John Wayne, okay, started mm-hmm. in 1939 with Stagecoach, his first big movie directed by John Ford. And those two worked together for years and decades. And obviously, I would say their best movie together was The Searchers. Um, But then The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance came out in the 60s with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart together for the first time. And yeah, it was just, you know, he was that larger than life, tough guy. You knew when he stepped on the screen, don't mess with him. He's the hero. He just had it written all over him in every way. And he just screamed American. He screamed absolutely uh, the American male ideal at the time of just he didn't take shit from anybody. He got the job done and he will protect what's his no matter what. And I feel like the American way of life was in jeopardy around this time. And he Mm -hmm. kind of exemplified like I'm going to protect against, of course, the Native Americans and, um, you know, very non-PC type stuff nowadays. But yeah. that's that's kind of what it was. It was like all of the, you know, he was in a, he was in movie. He was a movie character who was the insider and he was protecting himself from the outsiders. 
That's an excellent way of putting it. And yeah, and he he was most known for his westerns. And when all said and done, he's looked at as a western hero and a western icon. And that's because those were the most popular types of action movies for that time. You know, the modern mm-hmm. action movie wouldn't really come around for, you know, another couple of decades, I would say. Or, you know, or it started, you know, when he was still alive and acting, but it didn't really, you know, evolve into what we consider action movies until, you know, a little bit later on. Let's go back to John Wayne for a minute, because um, I'm just thinking about it. It's really interesting how he is very macho. He represents maleness, but he was also very sexless in a way. Like, he wasn't someone who wanted romance or got the girl at least in the movies that i've seen of him he's always he's the he's the one kind of who like leaves the family behind you know at the end like there's a woman who wants him to stay and be the protector but he kind of like rides off into the sunset something really interesting about that and that, you're that absolutely sets him apart right yeah. from errol errol flynn who was kind of or like james you know, bond, a ladies man or, <laughs> yeah. exactly and we're going to be talking about james bond soon but yeah it's interesting how how that was he was like the provider but he still was not he wasn't interested in women no and i guess that uh, was pushing you know the agenda of american values you know you have your wife have your kids protect your family protect your home and yeah don't go around you know don't sleep around don't do all these other you know things that you shouldn't do to get yourself in trouble so yeah john wayne mm-hmm. isn't known for being a ladies man the way maybe other yeah. action heroes are synonymous yeah they get the bad guys but they also get the girl he right. you know didn't really have that sort of yeah aura about him yes like like you said a very an asexual uh type yeah. of movie hero yeah it's almost like it was too frivolous for him because good, there were good more point. important things yeah. to do good point and it was also the sign of the times there wasn't a lot of sex or sexy you know moments in the 40s and 50s on cinema so that was kind of a taboo forbidden subject and even like the film the wars and the douglas cirque movies that would tackle that they still had to tread very carefully whereas sure shooting indians or shooting you know foreign uh, soldiers that 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 was you know looked at as always being justified mm-hmm. and i feel like this leads us to the 60s which of course mm-hmm. was the era of free love and things were opening up sexuality was uh was starting to be something that could be celebrated and at least talked about slightly more then, I mean, still had to be kind of hinted at in cinema, but it was definitely a lot more than the 40s and 50s. And so I feel like that leads us to the debonair, debonair spy. And James Bond, of course, exemplifies that the most out of anyone. So he, he I don't think he could have existed in the uh, 40s. You know, that's this type of character at Not all. Not the womanizing way, but you're almost making James Bond sound like he was a hippie counterculture type of hero because uh, of the 60s, 60s and uh, yeah. free love. And I know and that was that. more... And he was clearly not. He was a very I know that was more of a yeah. Roger... And that was more of a Roger Moore thing, I feel, like where it was getting a little bit more into the hippie type stuff. Yeah, I know but... that the Sean Connery... Uh, you know, he didn't even like uh, the Beatles. They made a correct, a yeah. That was a controversial uh, statement right at the height yeah. of Beatlemania when they made Goldfinger, mm-hmm. which was 1965. Yeah, I can't listen to the Beatles without earmuffs. He says, right. um, but but uh, even whether it was Roger Moore, Sean Connery, or Daniel Craig today, James Bond always has that image, clean cut, 
no facial hair, uh, suit, tux, you know, very square, you know, very um, prim and proper and classy looking and dashing but, debonair. But he did I, sleep with a lot of women. That's, that's what I mean by the, the one free difference. love. That's, yeah, that's the one <laughs> difference. The know. one difference that, you know, that, yeah, uh, is that, yes, he did not, you know, shy away from womanizing. Uh, every chance he got, especially in the 60s and 70s. They changed it a little bit with Timothy Dalton uh, in the 80s era James Bond uh, because of AIDS. But yeah, I do feel like the 60s definitely influenced, you know, that type of... I I not even think you could show a, a man and a woman in bed together uh, before the 60s, right? I'm not sure when it exactly changed. Yeah, I'm not but... sure when exactly that happened. I mean, I know on sitcoms, you know, I Love Lucy, they slept in separate beds, and there was like, what? Mm-hmm. what? You know? So, yeah. Uh, but movies, I'm not entirely sure. What was it the Hayes Code, right? That's what it was? That yep. Eventually, yep, the Hayes eventually Code. Eventually yep. went, yeah, there was a, a code that, you know, all movie studios had to follow or their films could not get released. And then eventually freedom of speech would, uh, you know, test that and they moved to the rating system and allowed more. And eventually we got to the point where we're at today. But I think values and mores have always, you know, explained what type of movies we can show. And so John Wayne reflected the American values of the 40s and 50s. James Bond, even though he's English reflected the changing times you know so yeah we're still you know square we're still in a tux we're still gonna look good we're still gonna get the bad guys but eh, we can you know have a wandering eye every now and then and hint at you know affairs with beautiful ladies not show everything kind of things yeah and we would be remiss to not talk about the cold war influence of course with these and how that actually kind of set the tone for this type of hero as well Mm mm-hmm Absolutely, because you got the Allies, you've got England working with America, working with Felix Leiter, okay, from the CIA, uh, and sometimes they would be tackling the Cold War, but oftentimes in the Sean Connery era, they were tackling, you know, uh, Spectre or supervillains, okay, these larger-than-life, mm-hmm. megalomaniacal, you know, villains that were trying to take over the air, the sea, Moonraker, outer space, and, you know, gas the entire planet to create a super race, uh, in like they did in Moonraker. So, yeah, they always had the Cold War elements in there. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so th- that was important. And Spectre was kind of like, well, not even kind of, they were countryless. It was, it, they could yes. be anybody. Exactly. And I think that also kind of goes into the paranoia around that time, you know, with communism and everything. It's like, oh, it could be your neighbor. It's no longer like the, like John Wayne era where the cowboys, uh, the bad cowboys are wearing black hats. It was just kind there of like yeah. people with tuxes could be the uh, villain as well. They could yeah, be they suave. Could be the they could be cool. working for them. Yeah. Yeah, or like the spy who loved me, where they were, the Russians mm-hmm. had to work with you know uh, the the British Secret Service to topple the agents or the undercover agents and find them. So yeah, yep, yes, yeah, so it's really interesting. Yeah, James Bond is sort of the most timeless uh, action hero, and that's why it started. The series started in 1962 with Sean Connery and Doctor No, and you know. 50 plus years later. Yeah, never went out of 60 style. years later. It's, it's exactly, it's still going strong. I mean, Daniel Craig is still in that same mold. Yes, the movies, the special effects, the plots, you know, governments have tumbled, the Cold War ended, all the world has changed so much since 1962. But James Bond is still James Bond for all intents and purposes. 
and never mind the the numerous clones of James Bond through the years as well. So mm-hmm. it's not even just even if Bond movies just stopped, it's like it, the influence is insane in modern movies. Like how oh, many. Yeah copy the formula so i mean indiana jones you mentioned him spielberg said that was a huge influence on him and he almost directed a james bond movie before he did raiders of the lost ark uh so yeah that's you know huge huge influence on every subsequent action hero that came you know after the james bond era not just spy movies like jason Bourne. yeah and then so that leads us to the 70s and 80s where things get (laughs) like a lot more gray i feel like they like things are going from very black and white to now we're getting into really really gray areas with Mm -hmm. like the vigilante movies and the rogue cop movies the uh characters who start taking the law into their own hands because the law won't protect them or uh doesn't represent them anymore so we've got movies like death wish we've got movies like dirty harry of course, Clint Eastwood and um, Charles Bronson are the ones that kind of exemplified this. But this has also been a character type that I feel like hasn't really gone out of style. And uh, But it, it did get more into style in the 70s, for sure. And in the James Bond world, you know, even though villains could be anybody, it, you still had like the government that you could trust. And all these countries had like a force of good that was working with Bond most of yes. the time. Whereas the vigilante, it was like the whole system is screwed up. Nobody, you can't trust anybody. You can't trust uh, your own cop friends or, um, but that that goes with the changing times, of course, with like the end of the 60s and everything, all the protests and all of the the changing views of like of cops and how corrupt it is. And um, I feel like that got really got started at the end of the 60s. And of course, we got to mention like the Charles Manson killings and everything. Mm-hmm. There was kind of like an Absolutely, end of innocence. Yeah. And and it was like, you know, yeah, the, the dawning of these serial killers and, you know, people wanted vigilante justice. Don't you think? Like people didn't yeah. care about giving uh, Charles Manson due process. I mean, nobody give, gave a shit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Time. And that was, and Clint Eastwood was speaking for those people as Dirty exactly. Harry. He was, you know, speaking for them while this guy killed, uh, you know, three women and two children. Like, I'm going to, we're going to give him a trial. We're going to, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to let him go because I, uh, you know, stepped on his leg a little too hard and made him tell yeah. me where uh, his victims are. So, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of, yeah, what Dirty Harry exemplified. And obviously it stood, the, it stood the test of time because it still has imitators today. It's still relevant today. And yeah, like mm-hmm. you said, I think movies started to change. I've always said from 1967 to 1982 was kind of like the, the you know, new age, the new wave of cinema in America where the maverick directors like the Spielberg, Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola really started taking over and taking over Hollywood. And I think they made the most interesting movies then because even a movie like Dirty Harry or The French Connection, you know, those were in the same vein as the important films of that time, like let's say Network or yep. um, uh, The Graduate or Bonnie and Clyde, okay, where they were, the, the movie started to talk to the people and reflect civil rights, women's liberation, all the Vietnam protests, all the things that were going on. They started to reflect people's values and movies were actually really talking to people in a way that they needed to hear that they had never heard before and never gotten from the movies. Whereas John Wayne was always telling them it's going to be all right. We've got this. And that's where John Wayne was still acting in the sixties and seventies. 
But his films, he was older, yes, and his films just weren't as relevant as these other, you know, new directors, new actors, new stars, and the stories they were telling that were really, you know, speaking to American audiences in a way that movies never had before, and kind of haven't since. Yeah, it felt like your grandfather's uh, values were being exemplified by John Wayne, and there exactly. was that sense of just, you know, get with the times... And, and they were also, the, they were probably our grandfather's favorite actors were probably course, John Wayne or the people of, you know, from that uh, Jimmy Stewart, for example, you know, people like that. So, mm -hmm. And also we've got to say, of course, that their censorship had just kind of gone out the window at this point. And so, yeah. you know, directors were able to tell these stories. Maybe they would have told them earlier if there was less censorship. We don't really know, but Good point. Um, that, that also was a big thing. And I do yeah. feel like these types of characters paved way for, of course, like what I want to call, I guess, the modern action heroes or the, like even though they're not so modern anymore, they still kind of fit that mold. Um, the, you know, Schwarzeneggers and the Stallones of that time, of the like the 80s. Yeah, um, and, and they were still larger than life heroes. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like... If, you know, I mean, certainly movies were much more white in the 30s, 40s, and 50s when Errol Flynn, John Wayne, uh, and Clint Eastwood, you know, 60s into the 70s, Clint Eastwood was the, they, when they were the biggest action stars of their time. And then movie, the modern action hero, I think they took the mold that John Wayne and Clint Eastwood had in westerns and sort of molded it around the, you know, what we would say the 80s action heroes became the Arnold Schwarzeneggers, the Sylvester Stallones, you know, because the, they, they were larger than life, usually playing the strong, silent type. We could get into how eventually they would, you know, spoof their own images uh, to varying degrees of success. But for the most part, Terminator, Terminator 2, Conan, um, Rambo, First Blood, okay, those, you know, Stallone, Schwarzenegger movies, they were strong, they were silent, they, they you know, they spoke with their actions, not with their words, kind of like Gary Cooper in High Noon, and, you know, a lot of John Wayne movies, or Clint Eastwood movies, where he barely talked, he just, you know, mumbled a little bit with a cigarette in his mouth or whatever in the westerns, and shot everybody, and you knew what was going on. So that was where Arnold and the torch was passed to that generation of those muscle-bound, tough, you know, testosterone, adrenaline-filled action heroes of the 80s. Yeah, that's true. But I would also argue that they took, of course, from the vigilante-type heroes. They kind of just took from all of the past uh, heroes, even a little bit, I would say, a little bit of Errol Flynn's type of, like, winking as well. Especially well, with Arnold later on, when it, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. I would say that's more of the 90s, but, but you're right, in the 80s... He wasn't really, you know, obviously with the Terminator and Terminator 2, which is, of course, wasn't the 80s, but... Um, 1991, it was you know, close. Who's that, still that early era Schwarzenegger? Yeah, I mean, he was, and Commando he was, and you know, Predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Commando and Predator, he's not really talking a lot. Yeah, and I would, I would argue that the 80s action hero was different from the 90s in a way just because the 80s kind of had that nihilistic streak. Yes. You know, through all of those movies, um, which obviously makes sense because the 80s was like that time where people were starting to think about, you know, I don't know, like uh, you when you think of the 80s, you think of like excess and, you know, everybody kind of is just all about money and greed and, co and you know, snorting coke left and right. Mm -hmm. You know, you have that type of image of just like uh, 
which you know paves way for movies like RoboCop and everything, of course, too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, it was very, very violent, uh, nihilistic movie, but very tongue in cheek as well. I think RoboCop's hilarious in a lot of parts. It is, it is for sure. So yeah, um, but then I think that what really made the if we move on, you know, the tough. 80s action heroes, you know, in the same mold as the Clint Eastwood, uh, Dirty Harry, or, you know, Clint Eastwood, Man With No Name for the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly movies, and the John Wayne movies that was sort of inhabited by, you know, Arnold and Stallone. I think if movies weren't so whitewashed in the previous decades, I think Arnold could have played some John Wayne roles, or Stallone, yeah, even Stallone's, you know, his Italian ethnic looks, he couldn't have done a lot of the roles that uh eastwood was doing and john wayne was doing but if you know movie culture was a little bit less white okay and a little bit more you know diverse i certainly think he could have played some of those roles but what really was the game changer i think leading the 80s into the 90s and changing the you know the evolution of the action star was of course bruce willis and die hard which was kind of a riff on the even though he was a cop, it was kind of a riff on the vigilante justice because one of the first, I don't think this is a great movie, but one of the most influential movies, uh, 1973, Death Wish, starring Charles Bronson. Yeah, he was an established actor. He had been in some action movies and stuff with Steve McQueen, another big larger-than-life action star. Um, but then he, you know, his role in Death Wish... That was the first time, as Paul Kersey and his, you know, his family gets killed, he takes the law into his own hands and starts killing bad guys on his own. That was the first time that sort of an everyman took over to become an action star. And then Charles Bronson, the rest of his career was nothing but action roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Bruce Willis changed it even further because, you know, Charles Bronson was in the same mold as the Eastwood and John Wayne where he didn't say a lot. His, you know, he spoke with his gun or he spoke with his fist. Okay, his actions spoke louder than his words. Bruce Willis in Die Hard, he wasn't larger than life. He was an everyman. He was just a cop in the wrong place at the wrong time at his wife's Christmas party. And all hell breaks loose and he's got to be the hero and save the day. But he changed it because he talked too much. Okay, he was fast-talking, quick-witted, really funny, thought on his feet, talked. No action star ever talked like that before. So that was a huge game-changer in action movies with Die Hard. uh, And they took a big risk on him too, right? I mean, uh, I remember when hearing, like, when the trailers to Die Hard would play, people were laughing in the theaters that Bruce Willis was going to be this big action hero because they were so used to... That, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone type of mold. And they just saw this sitcom actor in this, like, tough role. And it was, like, a joke. Yeah, because he was primarily known for comedies. He had a hit, you know, TV show, Moonlighting, with Sybil Shepard on his hands. It was a sitcom. And he had done a few comedies with Blake Edwards, a, you know, famous uh, comedic director. Uh, So he really didn't have... He was a star... But he wasn't an action star. He wasn't, like you said, Stallone. It was almost like when Michael Keaton, who was primarily a comedic actor prior to Batman, when they found out he was cast as Batman and people lost their minds. Uh, But uh, one of his biggest hits prior to that was Mr. Mom. And it's just, it's interesting that like this, this era, like the 90s, I feel like that's, that's the big difference is it's much more tongue in cheek. And I think he, he helped start that for sure. I do think Schwarzenegger around the same time was doing it. Stallone, I feel like kind of like rode their coattails, honestly, and didn't do it as effectively. 
as the yeah, two of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they saw how movies were changing. And I think uh, Schwarzenegger, well, what we know about him now, I think in the 80s he was macho, violent, R-rated, you know, bloody, violent, commando, kill everybody and ask questions later and, you know, all that stuff. But I think he wanted to change his persona. I guess it started with Twins. But he wanted to, you know, broaden his brand. Schwarzenegger had become such a household name, such a big star. He wanted to cash in even more of that. And so he did Terminator 2, which is a much friendlier, even though it was rated R, it was a friendlier, lighter R-rated movie than the first Terminator or certainly than Predator or Total Recall, which came before it. Um, And then... Next came Last Action Hero, which was a big flop, but that was a big PG-13 movie. He was trying to, you know, broaden his, you know, fan base and allow kids to and families to buy tickets to go and see him. And yes, yeah. eventually we know this was all his him trying to get into politics, and he eventually became the governor. Uh, but he he wanted to, you know, I think rebrand himself as being the bigger action star. And the only way to do that was to get a bigger audience and to go, you know, more family friendly PG 13 route. Uh, and he was successful at it. Yes. And spoofing himself in, you know, with, with films like we mentioned also true lies could go in that category as a lighter hearted James Cameron R, but not a hard R action movie. And, uh, Bruce Willis would go back and forth because Bruce Willis, I think maybe is a more dynamic actor, uh, he actually oh, started out as a stand-up comedian, believe it or not, Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he, you know, he's he's got a, a lot of skills, but he's still, I guess, you know, money talks, and maybe that was, you know, those were either the best offers he was getting or the biggest offers he was getting, and he just, you know, fell into just doing a lot of action movies. And Stallone, yeah, so we could look at how Schwarzenegger, so, you know, played with his image a lot in his 90s movies. Stallone did as well, just not as successful. But here's the big thing, the difference between them where their careers could have branched out in a more interesting way is if Stallone had actually stuck with what he was good at, which I think was playing that strong, silent type, but then he also had all this emotion bottled up that Mm -hmm. you didn't really see with John Wayne. You didn't get, get that like sense of a breakdown, you know, like the end of the first Rambo, which of course yeah. is just called First Blood, um, yeah. where it actually becomes uh, really emotional. I think that's some of Stallone's best acting, where it ends up being like this tragic, uh, he's this tragic Vietnam uh, uh, figure. And, and a symbol uh, for all the Vietnam veterans that came home and how they yeah, were exactly. mistreated. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkably poetic. And I think it, maybe it doesn't get the credit it deserves because it's just Stallone and we saw the trajectory that Stallone's career went on just playing, you know, a lot of not-so-good uh, action movies like Cobra and, you know, the other and titles And him ruining, ruining it with the, with the older or the newer Rambo movies or the Rambo with movies some that non- came afterwards. Yeah, literally, you could see how that, the, the character First Blood and First Blood Part Two, the second Rambo, there's almost nothing in common with those movies except the character, but the character, he turns into a war machine, killing machine. He turns into the John Wayne going back to Vietnam to save uh, POWs uh, out of the jungles and kill all the Vietnamese that he can, but he's still betrayed by his government in that movie as well. So uh, it does throw that into the mix as, uh, and it was a huge hit. Uh, But yeah, that's an excellent point that, yeah, he... 
and I think he's such a talented actor because you look at you look at uh, the original Rocky. He wrote yeah, that. Of course. He was yeah. nominated as a writer and he was nominated for Best Actor. He didn't win, but you know and that's also 1976. I've written articles about what an amazing year for movies that was. Taxi Driver, uh, Network, All the President's Men, and Rocky. Those four classics all nominated for Best Picture. What a year. Um, so that was 1976, and then he got nominated again, uh, you know, decades later in 2015 for Creed. It's just sad because I think that Stallone is better at those those drama roles that require more pathos than Schwarzenegger, of course. And Schwarzenegger, I think, is just a better comedic actor. And I so agree. I just Schwarzenegger made the right career choices by going more into that, and that's why I think he adapted because. Yeah. You know, the 90s was definitely like a more lighter era than the 80s. Yeah. And uh, Stallone kind of stayed the same for too long. And then he adapted When he tried to adapt chose, with Judge Dredd and Demolition yeah. Man. Yeah, it was, it was too late. And those, or Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. But yeah, Stallone just didn't quite yeah, adapt the same way. And he may have a better dramatic ability than Schwarzenegger, but Schwarzenegger just, I mean, I guess his association with James Cameron, uh, he picked better roles. He picked, you know, or he had better scripts offered to him and it gave him better opportunities for his, you know, talent, his skill set. And uh, yeah, that's why through the 80s and the 90s, yeah, Stallone may be the better actor and have the prestige of being an Academy Award nominated actor. But Stallone, I mean, Schwarzenegger, I think, did has the better body of work overall. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if we go back to Bruce Willis, I know that that was kind of like a jumped a, a bit, but um, I, yeah, he was massive, ma massively influential, of course, um, and opened up, I would say, roles like uh, Eddie Murphy, right, in Beverly Hills Cop as yeah, like, that's that a good type point. of yeah. action. You hero know, Beverly being, Hills Cop. Yeah, go on. Yeah. That type of action hero, you know, who is just like the the running his mouth and kind of like the everyday type of guy that isn't like this big muscle cop, you know, or like this unstoppable hero that has he has to use his brains. You know, of course, Beverly Hills Cop, there's a lot of like trickery that Eddie Murphy's character mm -hmm. plays on both the cops and uh, the the bad guys in that movie and Bruce Willis does the same thing. He's thinking with his brain. You don't really see that with Schwarzenegger and Stallone. They're more thinking or with Eastwood their muscles, or John right? Wayne before them or Eastwood and yeah. John Wayne before them. Exactly. Okay, They didn't have the muscles and the physique that those two men had, but they yeah. certainly, you know, they spoke more with just a look than any mm -hmm. words that they would use. And it's very interesting that you bring up Beverly Hills cop right now. Cause yeah, the same type of dynamic, fast-talking, quick-witted, quick-on-his-feet type of action hero like John McClane, uh, Bruce Willis, and Die Hard. But it's funny you mention uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Do you know who was originally cast in Beverly Hills Cop? Was it Bruce Willis? Nope. Okay. This, Bruce, this was 1984. Know. This was So Bruce Willis wasn't, you know, Die Hard was 88. I don't know if Bruce Willis started making movies till 86 or 87-ish. Um, so but 1984, it was Sylvester Stallone. And he got into fights oh. with the producers, with Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer, the writer. He wanted to do it his way. They wanted to do it their way. And so he left the project and he took some of the screenplay elements and turned it into the movie Cobra, which is not a very oh, good movie. But I would say that's the closest Stallone got to horror. But it's interesting. So it, I almost feel like, do you think Eddie Murphy then influenced 
the studio to possibly go with Bruce Willis, especially because you say that he was also a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um, well, if you look at the history of, I mean, Eddie Murphy's career, his first movie, he you know was like the fifth or sixth choice to be cast. Uh, his first movie ever, he was still on Saturday Night Live, was 48 Hours. That was not a comedic film. That was an action movie. So mm-hmm. he had that young, thin, athletic look. He had the, you know, quick-witted comedic sensibilities. But I guess he also, I would say Eddie Murphy doesn't get enough credit for his acting capabilities. I think he's a terrific actor. Yeah, going back, though, if you want to look at giving Eddie Murphy credit for action, then we've got to give credit for the people that paved the way for him. I would never say Sidney Poitier is an action star, but he certainly did, you know, Mr. Tibbs uh, in the heat of the night, police Mm -hmm. officer investigating, you know, a murder way before Eddie Murphy did. He did, you know, he did all sorts of roles for African-Americans way before any other actor did. Uh, So you could look at Denzel Washington. He's done a ton of action movies. I just did a podcast where I talked about all the movies he made with Tony Scott, Crimson Tide, Man on Fire, uh, Deja Vu, Unstoppable. So, I mean, he's, when Denzel isn't trying to win Oscars or getting nominated for Academy Awards... He's doing something with a gun. He's, you know, the equalizer, virtuosity, whatever. Training Day, which he did win an Oscar for, and that was an action movie. So he's you know, an incredible, uh, be- would go on to become quite an action star. But you got to go even back further. The first African-American action hero, uh, Richard Roundtree in the original Shaft, 1971. Same year mm-hmm. as Dirty Harry. It was like the uh, Dirty Harry goes to Harlem, not San Francisco. And it's an excellent movie. It still holds up. And I like the Samuel L. Jackson remake as well. But the original is the one that set the standard and sort of made it okay to have African-Americans doing what Clint Eastwood, what James Bond, what they were doing in a movie. Yeah, totally. But they put their own spin on it. That's a that's yeah. a good point. They, uh, yeah, all of those characters paved the way for someone like Eddie Murphy. You're right, and uh, and I, yeah, I'd, I would definitely argue that Eddie Murphy paved the way for Die Hard. Mm, interesting. I guess if you look at you know Forty Eight Hours and Beverly Hills Cop as action movies, then comedies. Then I guess because I, I guess if you're looking things like old video store, would you find Beverly Hills Cop under action or comedy? It's clearly both. Mm. But if it's it comedy both. first, then yeah, okay, a little bit of a loose interpretation. If it's action first, then absolutely, you know, Die Hard Bruce Willis would not be what it was if it wasn't for Eddie Murphy's performance in Beverly Hills Cop. So that's a very good point to make. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. And I, I never, I never paid the, I never made the connection until this conversation. But um, you know, Eddie Murphy gets thrown out of, uh, thrown out of windows and everything. He gets beat <laughs> up in, in the first Beverly Hills Cop. So he's not, you know, he's he's. I mean, he, not to the extent obviously that uh, Bruce Willis gets beat up in Die No, but. yeah, he's, he's, his feet aren't bleeding as he's stepping on glass. And also, he's going rogue. Remember, he's on vacation. He's investigating his right. friend's murder in Beverly That's Hills. True. He's not. He's not a Beverly Hills cop. He's from Detroit. Okay, but he's yeah. on vacation in Beverly Hills uh, to try to find out what happened, why his friend was killed. And mm-hmm. that's the, that's the plot of the story. That's the whole mission. Right. He's taken on yeah, these he drug dealers. Feel, killed right. his friend. He, so it, it, it yeah. clicks a lot of the checks there. You know that we've got yeah. everything but the strong silent type. He doesn't have that. Definitely not. <laughs> There's nothing silent about Axel Foley. <laughs> but same with 
same with Bruce Willis in in Die Hard. I don't. There's think There's nothing he's, uh, silent about John yeah, McClane. He's even yes. he's even talking when he's by himself. He's talking to Correct, himself. Correct. Yeah. Come out to the coast. We'll have a few laughs. That famous scene with him in the lighter <laughs> uh, climbing through the the uh, air duct. Uh, yeah, that's probably the most famous image from all of Die Hard. Uh, but yeah. yeah. And then Bruce Willis would later go on to do the strong silent type in many 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 other action movies that obviously weren't as influential, but you know. Uh, a lot of like I'm thinking the Jackal, Mercury Rising, Armageddon. Okay, he was the action guy. He was the go-to, you know, guy for a lot of action movies throughout the '90s and you know 2000s, and I guess still today. Uh, he's he's one of those guys who's like I guess in the Nicolas Cage boat. He's still acting. It's just I haven't seen a lot of the movies that he's done, or they're not getting. They're maybe they're going direct TV, direct to DVD uh, nowadays. Like Wesley Snipes, say who huge action hero right. in the '90s as well. Um, or, or you know, Nicolas Cage, Steven Seagal, who we could talk about later. <laughs> so, yeah, we, maybe we should start talking about Steven Seagal now, since we. I just actually saw we're the in his era. movies and we're in that and 90s, era of like, yeah. we're in his era. Like well, where Die Hard just all of a sudden everything was Die Hard on a some on something. Die Hard on a yep. bus. Die Hard on a plane. Well, Die Hard on a plane was Die Hard 2, but Die Hard on a well, train... Die, well, but Die Hard in an airport plane was Die Hard 2. Die Hard on a plane would be executive decision with Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal in a very brief role. Oh, right, right. So, and then yeah. it was Die Hard on the president's plane. They took it even further the following year with Harrison Ford. Get off yeah, my Air plane. <laughs> Still yeah. trying to trying to do the strong, silent type uh, action star. In that. And he's a terrific action star in his own right. I mean... Yeah, of course. It just, it just, I mean, he's a more dynamic actor where you don't look at Harrison Ford is just an action star but han solo indiana jones the fugitive blade runner uh so many the jack ryan movies for crying out loud okay those are two of i think the best action movies of the 90s the two that he did so yeah it's just it's just interesting that they all i would actually say that steven seagal and under siege he's kind of like the strong silent type oh absolutely um, he's definitely a lot more stoic than oh, yeah. than than john mcclain but yeah um, i don't think he but, can do a lot of you know what bruce willis does but but he what no. he can do he can do he'll give credit where credit is due he's not an actor he's not half an actor that bruce willis uh stallone or schwarzenegger are but he can do his own martial arts Okay. Yes, I don't know if he did do sure. it like Jackie Chan. I'm not putting him in the same role. Let's talk about martial arts movies because we martial arts movies martial have arts always sure. been action. I feel like they really became uh, prevalent. I would say in the 70s, I would say Bruce Lee was sort of the first international martial arts superstar. We all know his story. He was tragically, his life was tragically cut short. Um, but 1973, Enter the Dragon, sort of the first time that maybe North American audiences got to see i mean there was always sunny chiba there was kung fu there's stuff before that I, I mean but he was sort of the the you know the babe ruth okay of of martial totally. arts the the one that you know became the household name brought it you, you don't have to see a bruce lee movie but you know who bruce lee is sort of thing mm -hmm. so that you know he he brought martial arts to the forefront and they never really went away it's kind of like ebbs and flows there's moments where martial arts is super super popular throughout the 70s 80s 90s and 2000s and then they sort of die down they're still making martial arts movies but nobody really cares as much so i mean bruce lee big martial arts superstar not that larger than life superstar and you could look at you know jackie chan jet lee who we've talked about a lot already they're sort of in that same mold but 
you know, not even not Asian. I mean, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I know you haven't seen Bloodsport, but my God, that is one of the best martial arts movies I've ever seen. Um, and, and I'm not saying Van Damme is a great actor, but it's a great, it's an incredible true story. And he does a really good job playing that part. And that launched him into, a, you know, career as sort of a mini Stallone or mini Schwarzenegger. You know, Schwarzenegger had Terminator. Van Damme had Universal Soldier, all right? It's kind of a ripoff of Terminator, it's, but it's still fun in its own 90s, tongue-in-cheek sort of way. But yeah, you, you mentioned martial artists, and we did we talked about Jackie Chan a little bit. I feel like we should talk about Jackie Chan some more, just because I do feel like he was one of those guys that dominated the 90s, for sure. Obviously, he well, was the popular mid to in late the 80s. 90s. He yeah, was popular the mid- in the 80s, too, and in the 70s, Correct. but he, I feel like he really crossed over with like movies like um first strike which i think was 97 now i believe Um, that was 97 yeah rumble in the bronx i mean a lot of his movies were made in uh china and then just you know dubbed and brought over and released through it poorly dubbed (laughs) yeah rumble in the bronx super cop i love super cop i think that one's a lot of fun uh first strike is is really good and then i guess he he had a huge hit uh in 1998 with rush hour him and chris tucker uh and -hmm. another one you could say chris tucker is in the same mold as uh you know eddie murphy uh but not nearly as good uh and yeah rush hour i guess because rush hour was such a big hit then he started to make more american movies in america um and i i the tuxedo you know they they weren't nearly as successful but the rush hour series was pretty big in the late 90s and 2000s um what's funny though is that i think jackie chan kind of played he kind of plays with all of these types of characters like the swashbuckler he i feel like he has definitely parts of that um the debonair spy i think you know sometimes he plays maybe not a debonair spy but he does like espionage type stuff sometimes. Yeah, he's played spies in movies for sure maybe not and the then, james bond dashing type but you know he's definitely and he's done, done he's definitely done vigilante and rogue yep. cop before so yeah yep. it's interesting and he's done that, talkative and he's, goofy he always has a sense of humor to me it's yeah. like you know there's certain i, I don't know carlos santana you could just hear one or two notes of Carlos Santana and you know it's different. It's I'm not saying he's the best guitarist, but he has a unique sound to his guitar that other, you know, guitarists don't seem to duplicate. It's just he really stands out. Jackie Chan, I think you could say that about his martial arts style. Jet Li's a little mm-hmm. darker. Chow Yun-Fat's a little more violent. Okay, uh, and someone else, I mentioned him, but we could mention him with martial arts because I know he's some type of black belt in uh, several different martial arts, um, of course, would be uh, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes can do... Okay, Blade... That's a lot of him when it's not CGI. It's, you know, he was a younger man then. I'm sure now he's older and he doesn't, you know, move as well. And he also doesn't pay his taxes. But anyway, <laughs> he uh, certainly, you know, he but he can do his martial arts. Tim and Van Damme and Steven Seagal for, you know, say what you want about them personally. Say what you want about them as actors and their acting ability. I actually think Wesley Snipes is a terrific actor. Just look at um, White Men Can't Jump. Okay, there's no martial arts, no action in that. Okay, but I think he's a, it's a terrific performance. Uh, so yeah, he he can, he can act, uh, or he used to pick good roles or get offered good roles uh, that allowed him to really display his acting talents. But um, yeah, he also can do. That's you know usually really him doing the martial arts uh, choreography in his movies. Yeah, and so yeah, I think 
we talked about the 80s. We Now we're talking about the 90s mostly. And I feel like um, all these characters that we're talking about, most of them um, kind of like exemplify the fact that the 90s was just a time of prosperity. Everybody was kind of happy. You know, it just seemed like the country was like, was cool. And you could just see that, uh, you know, that, that shift where, you know, even the, these action movies, the majority of them are not like super dark movies. Yeah, even if well, they're I dealing think... with like dark subjects, I feel like they all have like kind of like that that humor and that winking and yeah, they're um, a know, far Jackie cry Chan from Dirty Harry. And, they're a far cry yeah, exa- from exactly. uh, French Connection or Parallax View or or Death Wish. I mean, Death Wish is a gr- gloomy, grisly, dismal movie. Okay, yeah. it's almost too like you know you you want something to perk you up in that. Uh, but uh, I also think when action movies started to change, and we could talk about the evolution. We are talking about the evolution of the action star. I think, and a perfect example of this is the summer of 1993, Arnold Schwarzenegger, what his big movie, his biggest movie at the time, coming off his biggest hit, Terminator 2, this was his follow-up to Terminator 2, was The Last Action Hero, and it Mm -hmm. flopped. The reason it flopped? Because it came out a week after Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. Schwarzenegger Mm -hmm. did not get defeated by another movie star or a bigger action star or bigger muscles. He got defeated by CGI. And movies mm. were changing and evolving. Then three years later, flash forward to three years later, the biggest movie of 1996 was Independence Day. Eraser, I don't even think was in the top five or top ten highest grossing movies. And that was his big action movie of 1996 for the summer of 1996. And this time it came out a few weeks before um, Independence Day, the number one movie, but it lost at the box office to Independence Day, Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise, big action star as well, and this was where he was just starting to become the action star with Mission Impossible, which would become his you know signature franchise. But uh, Mission Impossible, lots of CGI in those action scenes. Twister, yep. tons of CGI. These were all movies that came out in the summer of 1996, the same time Schwarzenegger's Eraser came out. He didn't lose to Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise was necessarily a bigger movie star. He lost to Tom Cruise because Mission Impossible had the bigger CGI action scenes. And the Independence Day had more CGI. And Twister had more CGI. That was what killed the action star in the 90s. And that's why his receipts weren't as good as the 90s went on. Same thing with Stallone. It's not just because Stallone was picking Stopper, My Mom Will Shoot, and Judge Dredd. It's because Stallone didn't matter as much. People wanted to see Armageddon or Deep Impact or, you know, Men in Black, Independence Day, whatever. You know, I'm thinking of the biggest movies of each summer, you know, during those years. So Stallone wasn't relevant. Schwarzenegger's name wasn't selling as much as Dinosaurs or, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the the White House blowing up. Okay. It was city-sized alien spaceships. That's what that was. That's a good point. Yeah. No, that's a really. And then it moves into, and then where you get the next action star. He was already an action star with Speed in 1994, but 1999, Keanu Reeves. They melded CGI with you know steampunk, sci-fi, noir elements, and martial arts elements, and Keanu Reeves had The Matrix. 
And that set the tone for what action movies and I guess the preface for comic book movies, even though The Matrix was not based on a comic book, but it sure looked like a comic book movie, okay, would lead into the 21st century. Yeah, you're right. It became much more about spectacle. I would say that's really what it was. It was just like yeah. all about spectacle and and it, it no longer, I would say actors no longer mattered as much. Correct. All. I mean, like Keanu's great. Action. Ke- yeah, yeah. Keanu is a great actor. I, I mean, you people make fun of him. I think he's very good at what he does. He, yes, he does maybe have a limited skill set, but he was great in Speed. Great action movie. Die Hard on a Bus. It was a Die Hard clone, just in a different scenario. Mad Bomber. Dennis Hopper was great. Okay, but then yeah, you put him in that and. Bullet Time was the star. Keanu was just bending and saying, whoa, and looking at a spoon, okay? Another actor could have done that. And it might have been as successful. It might not have. I do think Keanu had a style and sense about him that worked, but he certainly didn't need to. He he wasn't the Bruce Willis talking too much type. He wasn't the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Clint Eastwood, strong, stoic, larger-than-life, intimidating figure. You know, he was sort of an everyman punk hiding behind a computer, very 90s, working in a cubicle, very 1999, okay, and then dissatisfied with his life and uncovers, he takes the pill and uncovers this whole new world, and he opens his eyes for the first time, so there's a lot of philosophy with that, and it captured, the Matrix captured how a lot of Americans felt in 1999, before the Y2K, when, like you said, it was a time of prosperity, Clinton economics everything was good in the clinton era you know 2001 september 11th we didn't think something like that could happen in real life we thought that could only happen in a bruce willis movie so very very different world and it reflected that but i do think that there was a bit of a renaissance and with uh these types of movies that we're talking about um with uh keanu reeves of course with john wick and everything where it was getting back to that type yes. of like brutal yes, type of I action agree. yeah and then also even um i would say the rock um you know who i would say he's one of the only action stars where you could put him on uh his, on the billboard and he'll get people to sit and watch the movie he's one of those few that are left and i guess yeah Keanu i guess Reeves it's just it. a shame yeah, it's just a shame but, yeah, these movies but, aren't on the same level yeah. as schwarzenegger's uh 90s 80s and 90s movies but yeah yeah but it's interesting because the rock came out of like that cgi garbage fest that was the mummy returns and then the scorpion king and then he kind of started doing movies like walking tall and the rundown mm. and be cool i love the rundown and, yeah um even like but movies rock like- also started dwayne johnson started with a fan base coming from wrestling and we know hulk hogan mm-hmm. a lot of wrestlers have tried to cross over from wrestling wwe into acting and none were that successful, uh, certainly none as successful as uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Um, and I think factors are he got his name attached to some franchises. He got his name attached to some known products like Jumanji. Okay, so I think those things really helped him. But also, yes, he does kind of have that friendly persona. He has a, a gimmick, a shtick. And I think he's done more kid-friendly movies in his short career than Arnold Schwarzenegger did in his entire career. So, yeah, or Stallone, for, sure. for that matter. So, like, I, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember. I mean, Vin Diesel has tried to do that as well. And Vin Diesel, 
you could categorize as the 21st century modern day strong silent type you know if if the world was different if hollywood was a different place in the 1930s and 40s vin diesel could have you know taken a lot of you know big you know larger than life leading man roles uh or maybe he couldn't mm-hmm. because the point i'm about to make now is if vin diesel didn't have the fast and the furious franchise and if he did not have the um the riddick franchise he would not have a lot of money, okay? He'd still maybe oh, have a career, sure. but he'd be somewhere below Jason Statham. I'll say that right now, so. Yeah, no, the best thing for his career is when he got back into the Fast and Furious franchise because he, uh, well, you have, you don't, you're not familiar with these, but he actually wasn't in the second one or the third I, I one. did know that because he thought then, he was bigger than them and he, him right. and Rob Cohen, the director, were going to go off and do Triple X and they thought that was going to be the next James Bond movie. And I just think it and start the next James Bond franchise. And I think it's so ironic that and I did like Triple X for the record. I just think it's so ironic that that movie underperformed and he decided not to come back for the sequel and they got Ice Cube instead. And then he ended up realizing I'm not making money here doing all this other stuff. So he ended up coming back to the Fast and Furious franchise. And that's kind of maybe other than Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, the closest, or the Bourne franchise with uh, uh, Matt Damon, the closest thing we have to a modern-day James Bond. They've made nine of these movies, and mm-hmm. they show no signs of slowing down. They keep seeing to get bigger and bigger and, you know, with a ethnically diverse cast. And, yeah, Vin Diesel certainly is not like The Rock where he's the talkative one. I know these movies enough to know that he does play the strong, silent type. And he does, sure. you know, because even from the first one, he's a man of few words and his actions and his looks, okay, speak for themselves. You just look at Vin Diesel and you know, this guy means business. Whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, he's and tough. he stands and for family. no nonsense. And yeah, well. No that's, all he, that's all he ever talks about is family and, and okay. extended family and diversity with the family, you know. So that's that's all he's ever talking about. So American values for the 21st century. <laughs> The movies could be called The Fast and the Family if they wanted okay. to because that's all okay. he, he he preaches. So, it, yeah, it is interesting that he has that – there's that American value. So he does definitely hearken back to that era. But he's also like the rogue hero as well in a lot of the mm. movies. A lot of the movies he's – he's uh, well, he starts out as a, as a criminal. And he's so operating entire, outside you know, of the law. Yeah, you know, Exactly, yeah. yeah. Although he's not really – I mean, he's doing things to feed his family and and everything, but he's not uh he's not like uh, Errol Flynn. He's not exactly uh, he has his moral code, but he's not like uh, squeaky clean with his like what he's doing. He's like you know ripping off truck drivers and you know people like that, not just like the rich and giving to the poor, so to speak. So. Um, yeah. I do feel like he's like uh yeah he's evolved. He's an evolution of of. Like those old American values, but also like the new ones where it's kind of like, I'm going to take what's mine and it's and it's mine. <laughs> you know, it's that type of... And also uh, diversity. I mean, because you yeah. look at him, look at the cast that surrounds him. Okay, everyone's different, you know, races, different colors, different... And I, maybe that's what makes the Fast and the Furious uh, franchise so successful. Or maybe I'm sure that's one fact. They're all good looking, okay? Whether yeah. it's, you know, Paul Walker or Vin Diesel or I don't know the names of the women, Dwayne Johnson, um, but uh, Michelle Rodriguez she was in the first couple I know that um she's in so, all of them 
She's in oh, all of them. okay. Well, there you go. Well, she, all right. Well, she's, Charlize Theron, she, I know, shows up in one of them. She's not in all of them, but she's okay. in... Well, whatever. She, like, dies, and then she comes back. <laughs> so she's, like... She's in, like, the first one, then the fourth one, then she's not in the fifth one, then she comes back in the sixth one, and now she's in all of them again. Okay. So, so. yeah. All right. Well... Whatever, I'm just saying, so once again, Hispanic woman, okay, you know, not your stereotypical blonde bombshell or, you know, uh, and she's got there's like an Asian athletic, element. She's, there's, there's an Asian, Asian element, element, but she's too. got an athletic, tough look to her, Michelle Rodriguez. She's not a, mm-hmm. oh, pretty girl, save me, okay, you know, you know, she looks tough, she looks like she could uh, kick someone's yeah, ass, okay. You're yeah. right, it's not just, uh, it's not that just diversity in skin color, it's also the fact that they're like all these women action heroes in the fast and furious franchise um which isn't we haven't talked I mean, enough about female action about heroes females. yeah okay. what are some of your favorites because i i know some of mine and i feel like there's obviously not that many and we can't go back in history and look at female action heroes but who are some of your favorite female action heroes or most important female action heroes I mean, I love Sigourney Weaver. I think she's my Ooh, favorite. I, obviously, choice. that's kind of like yeah, sci-fi action, but yeah, but yeah, as Ripley, I think she's an amazing. Then could I say Frances McDormand from Fargo? Oh, that, <laughs> I mean, that's Fargo, great. Yeah, Fargo's not action, but I, I think Fargo's comedy. I think it's one of the most uh, hilarious movies I've ever seen. But she is a sheriff. She uses a gun. She does shoot the bad guy at the end. Okay. So, but it's just, it's, it certainly uh, is not what you're expecting. So I, I wasn't thinking of Sigourney Weaver or, um, uh, Francis McDormand when you, when I first posed that question to you, uh, I would I say, I know what you're going to say. What am I, I going to say? What you're going to say? One of them you're going to say is Gina Davis in the long uh, kiss goodnight you got it gina davis in the long kiss goodnight one of my favorite 90s action movies i think long kiss goodnight could hold its own against any 90s action movie and it should be in the discussion for best action movie of the decade it's one of the best shane black scripts it's definitely rennie harlan's best movie and i love cliffhanger and Die Hard too for that matter um and i also think i think if it wasn't for the fact that it bombed at the box office and that it was an action movie I think Gina Davis, at the very least, deserved an Oscar nomination for that film. And great Samuel L. Jackson, too. I love Long Kiss Goodnight. That and Die Hard, I'll watch every Christmas, uh, every holiday season. Love it. So what would you say, though, for your some of your favorite action uh, female stars? Uh, I mean, Char- Charlize Theron actually is, is great in a ton of... Well, not a ton, but well, I can only think of one that, that I would in. say she's great. What what one movie? Well, what movie would you say comes to mind for Charlize Theron? Well, of course, it would be Mad Max Fury Road. Not what I was thinking, one, actually, because to me that could be anybody. You're going to um, say Atomic Bl- Bl- Blonde. You got it, Atomic yeah. Blonde. If when they were talking about making James Bond a woman, I was like, no, just make Atomic Blonde a series. I would love to see Cold War, espionage, spy, action, rated R, awesome, beautiful, believable woman that you think she's tough and can do all this stuff, athletic looking. I would love to see a series of, uh, and I think Atomic Blonde was a hit, but I, I don't know if they're going to make another one. And the same thing with Salt, with Angelina yeah, Jolie. Yeah, I was going to say Angelina Jolie. I love Jolie's Angelina Jolie. 
But if I had to pick my favorite action, just pure action movie with her, it's not Lara Croft Tomb Raider. It's definitely Salt. And she was awesome. Another one, Cold War, Russians, Americans, modern day. Uh, I would love to see a follow-up to see what happens to her character. Because they sort of ended on a cliffhanger where you don't really know. And I guess the further time passes, because uh, it's been 10 or 11 years since that came out, the less likely that we're going to actually get a sequel or a continuation. But I, if Atomic Blonde 2 uh, came out, or uh, if they were to c- continue the uh, Salt uh, story. I would love to see more of those uh, movies. I thought they were terrific action movies with really, really great, uh, tough action heroines, and I really cared about them and would love to see them more. So, Mila jo- Jovovich, uh, also, like you got to say, I mean, even if you don't like the Resident Evil films, which I know, which I don't, <laughs> I know you don't, but she's she's a great. I mean, she should. I wish she was in better action movies because uh, she's. I liked great her in the Fifth it. Element. But she was kind of, you know, the, Bruce Willis was the hero of the Fifth Element. Let's just face it. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Ultraviolet, but I, I think she's. Doing I wanted that too. to like it. I wanted to like it because I love. It was Kurt Wimmer, his follow-up to Equilibrium, which was a Matrix clone that I thought was the best of all the Matrix clones. I will say that. Did you ever see Equilibrium? I forget. Yeah, I did see that, and I, I okay. remember liking it. Love that movie because I saw it before. I saw it right when I found out Christian Bale was going to be Batman before Batman Begins, which seems like forever ago. <laughs> and I guess it was. I was in college, um, and I saw that. And I with him coming out of the car with the guns and the gun kata and the martial arts in that black matrix looking trench coat. I was like, okay, this guy can be <laughs> Batman. This guy, I am ready. I can't wait to see Christian Bale as Batman. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, Linda Hamilton. We gotta we gotta mention her, of course. Other than Terminator Two, what else? Uh, I mean, I thought she was good in Dark Fate. I thought she oh, was the best part of it. Um, well, yeah, you're, you you're can't say anything bad about her. She didn't do anything. Yeah, bad I can say movie. bad things. I guess then I'll blame the dialogue that was written for her. How about that? I feel like we have to say Pam Greer too, right? Oh, well, okay, yes, that's for for African-American, for, you know, female action stars of the uh, 70s. Yeah, she was... You know who my, who my favorite is, though, if I'm going to just count movies uh, that who? she's been in? Who? That, and she's just universally excellent in all of them? Michelle Yeoh. Oh, yes. Excellent choice. Excellent. She's a fantastic uh, martial arts actress. And I liked her as the Bond girl in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. That was the first time I saw her in anything. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. a very good actress and good martial arts. And those are all, it's her doing all the martial arts. She's sort of the female Jackie Chan. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and good, she can good, upstage good Jackie Chan, which is pretty amazing. And she can she can even upstage Bond in a lot of scenes. So I feel like she really, you know, can hold her own with any of the male co-stars that she's with. She's, that she's been with. She's just, yeah, just the yeah, scripts great. make her be the female uh, to them as the, so she's playing second fiddle to Pierce Brosnan. I, I would, li- I would like her to, be but. like the the first fiddle in more movies but we don't really I'm get sure that from she her. has but maybe they didn't come to America yeah oh uh, she's crouching so tiger good. hidden dragon but I guess yep. that was she was kind of you know chow yun fat uh, she shared the lead and Zhang Ziyi uh, they mm-hmm. both they all, all I would say all three of them sort of shared the lead I guess maybe chow yun fat was credited first but uh, I, I don't I would say that's the closest 
she's come to starring in something that was really successful in America. I guess all these people we're talking about, they, you know, even the modern takes, they kind of still fit into those, those ones that we've brought up uh, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, it's not um, like there's a there's a, a a group, a category that we didn't skip or that hasn't been represented in our discussion here, whether it's male, female, black, white, old, young, okay? So, because you've always got, you know, Clint, Clint Eastwood, the aging, you know, t- cop hero. Uh, John Wayne did the aging cowboy thing in True Grit. So, yeah, there's always going to be that sort of thing. Uh, it's just kind of interesting because we did this this sort of thing with villains and it felt like there was a much more of a clear trajectory with villains. Whereas with the action hero, it's almost like they've been recycling the same thing since the 70s, pretty much. Like or the since the 30s like, and 40s. Yeah, I guess oh, well, 70s was no, a I mean like everything. Yeah. I mean everything yeah. like from the 70s to prior. It was pretty much yeah. like everything. Like I feel like uh, the evolution kind of stopped there. And then what we've been seeing is just taking like little bits and pieces of each one of those types and mixing them up and playing with them and sometimes making fun of them. Yeah. Actually, probably – actually, maybe it stopped with the everyman in, in Die Hard or uh, – or even Beverly Hills Cop, I would argue. Well, every that. man kind of like you could say, man. yeah, yeah, every man you could say started with, like I said, Paul Kersey, Charles Bronson in Death Wish, because I think he was just like a mild mannered accountant, sort of, and then he, you know, goes on and he becomes Clint Eastwood, <laughs> okay, and yeah, it's just, you know, or it's, it's we a, could a, also even, I, I know we should bring up Hitchcock because we always bring up Hitchcock, but. <laughs> he, he went into the whole wrong man thing, and uh, there you go, the, North by Northwest as well. Yeah. North by Northwest, there you go. Where, North by yeah. Northwest was if there was no North by Northwest, there wouldn't be The Fugitive, and I think The Fugitive is one of the best '90s action movies of all time. Even though I know I just said that about Long Kiss Goodnight, Fugitive is a few notches above it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then now I'm thinking about like other you know action cliches, Lethal Weapon. I guess they still kind of fit the strong silent type, you know. Uh, just you have one old, one young. They're paired together and they've got to work it out. Forty eight hours, old cop, young, not cop, <laughs> but young, you know, hot shot guy. They've got to work together, sort of thing. So yeah, you could, argue, all you could even thing. argue there'd be no bond, or at least no from Russia with love without North by Northwest. So. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, the early Bonds took heavily from Hitchcock. That they, mm-hmm. the producers, have even and directors have acknowledged that. Yes, so yeah. from Russia with Love, especially with the yeah, some of the scenes being taken, you know, straight from uh, Hitchcock movies. Um, North mm-hmm. by Northwest was definitely every man, wrong man at the wrong place. Which there you go, leads to Die Hard, leads to Death Wish, leads to all of these things. I would say the last time an action hero really evolved archetype wise was probably Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Because even though Keanu was different, you know, different type of action star, you know, melding the kung fu and, you know, guns and CGI and all of that stuff, he still wasn't a unique type of action star, per se. Yeah. But would you say, now that we're talking about Beverly Hills Cop, would you say that Eddie Murphy was also an everyman, though? I mean, he was, he's a cop. cop. Yeah, he's a, he was he's a, cop. a cop, but Bruce he's... Bruce Willis was a cop. Bruce Willis was a cop too, as so. well, but they're just, like, not larger than life. They're kind of just, they, they don't, they're not relying on their massive muscles. So I guess that's what I no, mean by No, yeah, I they're relying the, on their the, wits, yeah. And that's what I mean when I say the everyman, like, that it could be anybody. Correct. Well, anybody so, yeah, who's I a mean, cop yeah. that has, like, some training, I guess. 
but um but yeah i would actually yeah beverly hills cop i i never thought about how influential that that really is but um neither have i you're giving that movie <laughs> i really look at it. and it was it was not you know i mean it, it has but elements from the buddy cop formula it has elements from yeah the everyman from the fish out of water it's a fish out of water tale he's a yep. cop from the tough streets of detroit who gets transplanted, you know, by his own doing to Beverly Hills, the you know one of the nicest, richest areas in the world. Okay, to solve mm-hmm. his friend's murder, and that's that's it. That's the plot, and hilarity ensues. But yes, there's also it's a Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer movie, so there is a lot of action. Uh-huh. It, it would be remiss to not talk about Marvel. Like I guess that's that's the era that we're in. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your tolerance for it is now like the superhero which has always been kind of around but like in the background but now i feel yeah. like that's obviously the dominant action hero yeah and i mean superheroes I, I, yeah, yeah like like super you know superman christopher reeves 1978 that was a one oh my god crazy thing you know and then the sequels and then it died out uh batman same thing then it became a joke with bat by the time batman and robin came out and it died out but now there's no time for it to die out because now once someone walks away from the role they're gonna put someone else younger in it just look at spider-man so i feel like these superhero movies with maybe the exception of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Tony Stark, you could replace any of them. And mm-hmm. oh, maybe Chadwick Boseman, obviously, but that's for reasons not really, yeah. be, you know, that's right. for, yeah, exactly. you know, reasons out, <laughs> you know, the tragic reasons. Um, yeah. I kind of think that uh, it's, it's kind of crazy how you could, it's musical chairs almost with these blockbuster movies now, because you could have anyone, be almost other than those two marvel roles characters black panther and iron man i think you could throw anyone into anything and no one's gonna care and it's gonna make money and it's like as if the actor doesn't matter yes you still need to have a good actor you know a gifted trained talented person underneath the costume you know to handle the you know real emotional you know non-action scenes but they don't need to be schwarzenegger they don't need to be Bruce Willis. They don't need to be a draw. They don't, you know, a big box office draw. They could be, uh, who knew who Tom Holland was until he was Spider-Man. Right, exactly. So, you know, Tobey Maguire was established. Tobey Maguire had big movies under his belt before he was Spider-Man. Okay. <laughs> and, the worst uh, thing, know. the worst thing I would say about the, t- the whole, what you're describing with superheroes is that it's extended to any franchise now. And I feel like with Marvel, it kind of paved the way. But now, or actually maybe even James Bond paved the way where it's like, oh, the franchise is more important than the actor. Maybe that yeah, was the Yeah, but first if you didn't do a good job as James but, Bond, you were out. Okay. But I you do didn't feel get like now, years. but I guess my point is I feel like, I, I feel like in our lifetime, we're going to see a new Indiana Jones. Um, oh, I don't going think to so. See, I hope not. I don't think I, so. I, 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 I feel not, like that I think, ship has sailed. I, could, I, I feel like there's going to be reboots of all of the, You know, there's been a reboot of, of course, RoboCop and, you know, stuff that's not and it, a superhero. And it flopped. And it flopped. Yeah. I think, I, so I don't think they're going to redo another RoboCop. I don't think do they're going to redo they'll ever the Total do Recall. Die Hard rebooted? They, they'll keep doing sequels until Bruce Willis either decides I don't need the money ever or I don't want. I think that's Bruce Willis's call. Um, as long as he's alive, um, I, I, I don't know. I just feel I feel like um, when all these actors retire or pass on, they're going to 
reboot. I, I mean, that's, that's. I hope not. I don't think anyone could play Rocky besides Stallone. I don't think anyone could well, play Rambo Creed, besides Stallone. Well, we got which was luckily. And Creed, but I, I Rocky's like still in them. Rocky I like. Yeah, still, and I like. Yeah, I like so that, that. I, I was happy. I would about say that. that works. I would say that works if they go that route with John McClane. And they have, I don't know, Reginald Vell Johnson's son team up with him. If it's a good movie, like Creed defied all odds and Creed was a very good movie. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but you still, Bruce Willis is still John McClane. I'm okay with that. Um, so I, I certainly hope they don't. But yeah, it says actors are more dispensable than they used to be. Okay? How come Schwarzenegger okay was indispensable with, uh, before. Do you think you would have been okay with Sean Connery being replaced if you were around, obviously you weren't born, but if you were around at that time, would you have been, uh, do you think you would have been anti that? Like it keep at going first, with? Yes. At first, yes. But I think Roger Moore, what the James Bond franchise did is it showed that these different actors interpreted the character in a different way. Cause Roger Moore's James Bond is certainly different, especially by the time you get to the later Roger Moore Bond movies. So different than Sean Connery's, okay? You could say it's good. You could say it's bad. I think I like his interpretation, okay? I'm not going to say... I mean, Sean Connery, I think, is, you know, one of the best. And we haven't talked about him. He could be one of the best action stars of all time because even after James sure. Bond, he did a lot of great action movies. Um, but uh, just, you know, they... Uh, and then Timothy Dalton, total 180 interpretation. It was... I, you could say Timothy Dalton's interpretation, whether you like it or not, it was ahead of its time. Uh, being serious, I think Daniel Craig's interpretation is dark, grounded, more realistic. Uh, and maybe that's why there was such backlash against Spectre, because Spectre was the first Daniel Craig Bond movie that had all the elements from the Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore era thrown into one of his movies. And it seemed like critics or fans or whatever rejected it and i was like do they not know james bond and apparently they forgot what james bond was like uh prior to the reboot casino royale so that i i don't know but yeah every actor has given a certain different interpretation and they represent the times i think the 90s was a good time for uh daniel uh, pierce brosnan to be james bond and I think maybe in a post 9-11 world, that wouldn't have worked. But in a post-Cold War world, in the Clinton era, it worked perfectly. So, you know, James Bond has managed to change with the times. And yes, he's always stayed true. The character's never going to be a hippie. He's never going to be, you know, a, too different. And if they want to make him someone different, then they should just do Atomic Blonde, Salt, okay, uh, something, you know... Something Why else. do you think... It, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I actually don't think they should reboot Indiana Jones, but why do you think that character is so indelible to I Harrison feel that Ford ship versus, has sailed. versus yeah. Sean Connery, though? I'm not, say, well, I'm not saying Sean Connery's a better actor or worse actor than Harrison Ford, but I feel like that role, if they were going to do it, they would have... They should have or would have... They Either A, they wouldn't have done part four with him, or B, they would have, because let's face it, the, there was backlash to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and they would have done something, I think. There was a rumor, there was a time, because it was after Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World, that uh, I was hearing rumors that Chris Pratt was going to take over. Mm -hmm. I heard yeah. that too. Uh, 
that was like I, I think eight I or think nine years happen, ago. So I, th- what? <laughs> I do think it'll happen in our lifetime, though. Maybe it'll be twenty years before it, it happens. But I do no, feel like the I properties. Not. I guess my point is the properties have become a lot more important than the actors. Yeah, look at Star Trek. Yeah, look at. Yeah. I mean, to me, you like the newer Star Trek movies more than I do. I'm a bigger Star Trek fan of this TV series and the original movies. I yes. think it's sacrilegious having. I don't see these actors as. Captain Kirk and Spock and Dr. McCoy. I see a bunch of kids doing impressions of Kirk, Spock, Uhura, McCoy, okay, Chekhov. I just don't think that's what I see. I see a bunch of kids just, you know, doing impressions surrounded by all these special effects. And that's what J.J. Abrams, I think, got wrong with Star Trek is that Star Trek, you watch the old movies, you watch the show, it wasn't about, it wasn't supposed to look like Star Wars and be a hundred million dollar plus special effects. It was supposed to be more like a chess game or like a submarine thriller, like I mentioned Hunt for Red October or Crimson Tide. It was about, you know, mind games and intellect and not action. And he just made it all about time travel and action and that's just not Star Trek to me, so. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're agreeing with me. I know you don't like it, but <laughs> it does seem like the properties we're, are more We're important. just so afraid of original ideas. We're so afraid. Oh, yeah. Of, everything know, everything uh, is I going really to didn't be think Karate Kid. Yeah, I really didn't think Karate Kid was that. Okay, will they remake Back to the Future? I don't think they'll touch that. I hope not, but I've I've heard rumblings about that. So before. have I, but I don't think. Okay, will they remake Citizen Kane? I don't think they'll remake that. No, but that that doesn't have the the built-in audience. Re- I mean, oh, besides it's not cinema a franchise. Nerds, yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. So, I yeah, I guess I'm just saying that no franchise is is safe from rebooting, and that's where I'm going with this whole thing. The action hero died because, like you said, there's no more. Uh, everything's about spectacle. Um, now we're going towards just reboot after reboot and. Um, you know, superhero franchises where who it doesn't matter who's behind the mask or cowl or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of well, like well, you could where say that started think... with Batman as well. Look at Batman, uh, Val totally, Kilmer, you totally. know, did it with one for one movie, and Batman Forever was a big success. So he chose not to come back for it, and they put Bruce, uh, not Bruce, uh, they put uh, George Clooney under there, who's now mm-hmm. a huge star. Then he was still just an up and coming movie star. Uh, it was a horrible flop, but yeah, anyone could have been that. Batman it didn't you know you might be the best actor to ever play Batman George Clooney but he was uh, a really bad Batman so yeah and I think that goes to that's maybe telling us more about the death of the movie star I think this goes beyond death of the action hero you're, you're I don't right, think right you know do you need to look at how fast they replaced you know Tobey Maguire Andrew Garfield it doesn't matter who's Spider-Man okay mm-hmm. you put any competent good-looking guy <laughs> under the cgi spider suit and they're oh look we've got a new spider-man it doesn't matter who's spider-man it doesn't matter who's batman it doesn't i mean people complained about uh ben affleck but did it really matter that ben affleck in the justice league or uh batman versus superman did it really matter that he was batman i don't think so i actually thought he played a pretty good batman though I disagree, and I, you know, I, I like I like Ben Affleck. I've got his back. I loved Argo. I loved Gone Girl. I loved Gone Baby Gone, but I, I can't defend him. I, there's nothing about it. It made me miss Christian Bale a lot. <laughs> hmm. 
He was a, a grizzled old Batman who's uh, bitter. I, I'd, so I'd, was I'd, Christian I Bale in Dark Knight Rises, and I thought that was. Bitter. Oh, I'm not saying he's. I'm not saying he's better than Christian Bale. Well, I don't, I'm I, I. I think another actor could have played it, and it would have been just as good or just as bad, depending on your. Per, you know, I don't think he he wasn't a factor as to why. No, I am. No, I'm not. I'm not going work. to argue that. No, yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah, I'm just, so that's the point that I'm trying to make. Ben Affleck's a big star. You could have gotten someone for half the price. Mm-hmm. Okay, like you could have. It didn't. You didn't need Ben Affleck. Hey, who's Henry Cavill? Granted, who was Christopher Reeve at the time? But that turned out to be great. Who's Henry Cavill? Okay, it doesn't. You could put any you know chiseled, fit, good-looking guy to be Superman, and yeah, you're you're all set. So I mean, I thought he I was know. a good Superman too, actually. In, so. in Man of Steel, yes. In the subsequent movies, not as much. Uh, but once again, I don't think that was his fault. Okay, I don't know. How. I've got to see him in more things besides just that and Mission Impossible 5 or 6 or whatever it was. Uh, you know, once again, action movie. So I, I just don't think, yeah, like an act, I don't think like an actor like Leonardo DiCaprio, if he was up and coming now, I don't think there's going to be another Leonardo DiCaprio or another, you know, Ben Affleck or Matt Damon even. Like it just... The movie stars, really, it's all just properties and or the rock and reboots. <laughs> or Dwayne the or Rock the Johnson. Rock. I yeah, feel like you know, he, you just yeah. Yeah, he's still I think he still I think he's the only action hero or just maybe he's not even an action hero. He's kind of because like you said, he does the family fair. I mean, sometimes he's an action hero, but he is a star that definitely can carry a movie still. Yeah, he's got a brand. But, like Schwarzenegger had a brand in the 90s. He's got a persona that he carries through to each of his movies. So he's never going to be tough and brooding. And, you know, he's, he couldn't have done the uh, the DC movies, I don't think. Right. But he is hard to replace. Too- I think he's someone who's who's irreplaceable in his movies because he kind of makes the movies, and that's honestly because the movies aren't as strong. Yeah, and they, they so actually you put require a strong him. personality with a persona like that, like like Eddie Murphy, I guess, to a lesser to a certain extent. You know, in his his later movies, yeah, you're right. He's got a persona, and you just you get that brand. Okay, Schwarzenegger had a brand. You knew when you were buying a ticket to a Schwarzenegger movie, you were getting this. And if you didn't get yeah. it, you were like, hey, what, what, I didn't want, you know, this isn't, then you got Junior and people were like, hey, you know, that wasn't, you know, that didn't play on his strengths as well as a lot of his other movies. Uh, so I guess what we're saying is in order to be a star nowadays, you actually have to be a franchise in and of yourself. Yeah. Which is sad. Point. It's Which extremely sad. sad. Yeah. You can't just be <laughs> a great actor anymore. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's death of the action hero, but it's also death of the, um, the movie star, okay? Someone yes. like, I don't think we'll see a career like Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks or Leonardo DiCaprio, okay? I may, We will, maybe few, but they won't have the competition that DiCaprio had when he was up and coming in the 90s, okay? I guess we should just end it here because uh, <laughs> we're definitely going on a rant about the Hollywood system, which is interesting, um, but it's also making me sad. <laughs> and that... And that's kind of like what that's what we should call this. That's what I think we'll call the the podcast. Honestly, it's not the evolution; it's the death of the action hero and the the death of the actor. Yeah, hopefully there'll be a renaissance. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom. I'm sure this the superhero era. I'm sure eventually that something's got to change where something else will pop up, and then hopefully uh, 
we get more diversity again. All right. So we'll sign off here. I'm Jason Konigsberg. You could check out all my stuff, uh, panandslam.com, all my podcasts, all my reviews. Follow me on Twitter, Jason K. Critic. Live long, prosper, and watch movies. And I'm Patrick Olaka. We'll see you next time.